Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN, that is CIO Talk Network. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter and look for this show as hashtag analytics and hashtag CDO. Our topic for today is have enterprise data and analytics programs delivered on the promise. And we have Ursula Cotton, who is the chief data officer with Citizens Bank. Hey, Ursula, how are you? Hi, Sandra. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Fantastic. So uh, is business going well? Business is great. All right. Great. So, so the topic we picked up today here is about the enterprise data and analytics programs. And it's been a number of years since we started them. And we started with a big bang saying, okay, we're going to turn around uh, the way organizations work, the way they would be able to generate insights, which will help them with revenue, cost savings, you name it. Now, with number of years under our belt, with a number of projects, some great, some not as great, what has happened with that investment? Have they really delivered on the promise? So, so to that end, when we look at, Ursula, the whole idea of, of or maybe we try to measure what, ha- what you've seen happen with the organizations that you worked with, with all the investments gone in, and also your peer group. What, mm-hmm. If you were to wear that kind of pseudo-analyst hat, what do you think is an overall outcome? What do you, how do you rate it? Um, so it's definitely not a home run. Um, maybe I'll give it a single or a double max. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, the going-in assumption that technology was going to save us. So, Very interesting. <laughs> um, the, the vendors, the consulting firms, right, they all have a lot of different technology to offer. Uh, the reality is culture, people, process, strategy have a lot more to do with um, the home run than um, technology. And I think those are still the hardest things to bring together. That doesn't change, right? So even though there's been a, a huge advancements in this space from a technology perspective, if you come at it from a purely technical implementation, um, it's still an uphill battle. So when we started this, as you said, that there were some assumptions made. So while you may have made assumptions about the technology really be the savior, mm-hmm. was the, the, the culture, the leadership, and, and other softer aspects, if you will, of analytics, to what degree were they even considered? And, and what was the benchmark that we said, okay, well, we will, yes, invest in technology. We will also work on these other aspects. What was the expectation set for all, all people involved? Uh, I, I don't think there was expectation set. I think that's some of the challenge, right? You, you um, often have uh, a situation where you want to employ the new technologies, right? Stuff was coming out daily um, in the last few years about big data, right? So by default, people start saying, well, what are we doing with big data? Well, big data is not just the technology, right? It's the making sure that you have good quality data, in a way that people can actually access it and then use it, and then you have to have analytic resources to leverage it, right? And that means changing some of your processes that isn't um, highlighted by just implementing a uh, you know, big data solution. So let's, let's talk about the outcome. So when you, of course, yeah. uh, in, in your role, went to the CEO's office or whosoever was the one who was the stakeholder, what was the ask or what was your sell? Which, which was originally set up to say, okay, we will deliver X. And when you came back, and I, I'm not saying you means yeah. the community, what was yeah. it set as an expectation and what is the outcome? So let's talk a little more specifically on that. Yeah, so what's interesting is I think um, the outcomes vary quite a bit from institution to institution and in what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, for citizens, we've been very focused on both growing revenue um, and uh, reducing expense. Right, so two very distinct business outcomes. And as a result of that, how could we leverage 
the uh, data ecosystem to help us do those two things, and as a result, also streamline um, our regulatory reporting. So making those processes more easy to modify and to uh, share with our regulators. So it was a combination of both um, revenue generation, expense reduction, and simplification. So if you were to look at any initiative, maybe in, in this area or any other, fundamentally we are all looking at either growing the top line or reducing the uh, the costs that we may have. That is the, the anyway there. Now, yeah. talking about enterprise analytics and data programs, was any earth-shattering innovation promise made that, okay, when we come here, you will learn certain things. Yes, eventually the end goal is to do those, like, you know, the growth and the, the, the cost savings, but as an immediate direct result of such programs, was some uh-huh. innovation uh, uh, expected and or promised, or would you say was it more, okay, we will do this, it was going to bring some incremental improvement, and that's what you should leave it at. Uh, I think um, it was not that uh, straight-lined, right? So some of what needed to be done from a data perspective was very foundational. Um, Building out a customer master for the organization by itself does not make money or save money, right? Um, You have to change the processes that we um, that get cobbled together over the years, right, for um, for customers and. Once you start to streamline that using a customer master, you can make money or save money, right? Because you can look at a customer holistically to put together better leads, um, better offers that we would actually send to customers. You save money on mailings. You save money on uh, much having a much more targeted marketing approach. But that is that's secondary, right, to the investment around the data assets themselves. So we knew going into it that this was a two-part formula. One, get the foundational components put in place, and then two, leverage them so that the businesses were able to um, more quickly and easily create things like marketing leads and offers, uh, better ways for us to talk to the customers, improving the customer experience, right? But that our business lines are an important component to the data work we're doing. So what right, you just mentioned, just me. yeah, so, so into that, you mentioned that you, you create that one platform. Now, you and us, we all know that the data, oh, sorry, the, the business keeps moving and so does the needs that it has. So it cannot be like a shut-in and forget it, like a rotisserie ad where you say, okay, you've done it once, you are good, and life is good thereafter. There exactly. is going to be a continual change. So what what? where where is the, the foundation? So do you say that even the foundation keeps shifting? Uh, no, I don't think so. The foundation, so some basic information, the, the areas where we're specifically focused is on customer account and transaction data. So does that change that regularly? It doesn't. That's a much slower-moving component. You are not, um, we're not creating new products on a daily basis, right? You're getting new customers, but the base um, structure that you put in place around customer accounts and transactions is pretty consistent, so that makes it significantly easier. And once you've got that base data, the analytics can change very dramatically. But as long as you've got that base set of information, it makes it much easier for them to adapt to that. And the tools that become available on a, those are new and um, uh, being developed on a daily basis, right? New, new, new tools to help on the analytics uh, space, both in the um, reactive and predictive analytics. Those, those tools can change forever as long as you've got a clean, um, predictable set of data that you can use. And can it adapt to that over time? Sure, of course. We can add other, um, other features, other products, other elements, um, but that base stays pretty consistent. So based on what you just said with that base data, why do we then hear a whole lot of data silos, either they continue to chronically exist or they get created or there are integrity issues and finally when we say when rubber meets the road and you are supposed to develop analytics which is eventually supposed to help you is not it is just a bunch of reports 
versus specific actionable steps which can be utilized for the towards the end goal. If all of that is yeah. still happening, what, where are we missing the boat? What, why is it missing? So um, I, I think there's a combination of, of things, right? Culture has, as I said, culture is a big piece of why we're not just having a home run. Um, businesses, despite the pain that they feel on a regular basis, have adapted to what is available to them. So by default, they've created silos. They've created end-user databases to solve problems that they had from a business standpoint, which means they spent a lot more time on reporting and less on analytics because data was hard to get to, right, making it difficult to do your job, right? You will, you will find a way through, but as a result of that, you start to put together those processes. So now somebody else comes along and says, hey, I've got this new set of data for you. Come use it. It's hard for people to make that shift from the way they've been doing it to some other way, even if it's painful with the way that they're currently doing it because that's how they've architected their processes to work. So is this inertia you're referring to? I think there is some. It's an inertia, but I, I think it's not even um, It's a comfort zone thing. Right? So if, I have a, if I'm a business leader and I have a set of reports that I am comfortable with, even though it might be really painful for my organization to put those reports together, it's hard for me to know what I don't know about how much better those could be, how it could be simplified, and I can come along and say that, but I have to be able to get some of that. It has to be so painful or something has to be so different for people to want to change, right? Change is, is not, people don't just go sign up for it, especially when you're trying to get your job done on a daily basis. You know, I, I use an analogy uh, that is, there, is a, there are two types of problems. One is that a Tylenol problem where you just pop a pill and get by because it was just a nagging pain or it's a mm-hmm. surgery problem. So do yes. you think in this data domain, would you think most of these problems are Tylenol type of problems or like a painkiller would be good enough and that's why they don't move? Um, I think they think that. <laughs> um, I think that surgery is where you'll get the lift, right? But the reality is the people don't sign up for surgery. You'll take Tylenol for a long time before you do the surgery. And, and so what would cut them over, put them over the fence? Um, usually it's something has changed, and uh, new leadership is often one of those triggers, right? So somebody new comes in and is like, what in the world are you people doing? Why are we not X, Y, Z, right? And change happens as a result of that. Um, so new people are a great trigger for that. Um, for existing leaders, I think something has to have changed. Some new ask from either outside the organization or um, within where they're unable to do it without enduring a, a bunch of new pain. And they'll say, hey, can somebody help us fix this? Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Ursula mentioned about getting somebody from outside. So that's very, very timely because I was just about to ask Ursula, and this is what we will tackle after the break, is in, in, in order for these data and analytics programs to work, is it really better to get someone from outside, get some outside perspective and expertise to help, or we can actually have organically tackle this using internal resources with outside people as just coming and walking away after rattling the cage. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. So, so very interestingly, uh, Ursula, you mentioned that getting someone from outside to tell what the heck are you doing is what rattles the cage, and that's why they start listening, and, uh-huh. and that helps you. Now, the question is, is it always required for us to get people from outside just to rattle the cage so that you can then internally run with it, or we are better off just having somebody from outside do that foundation building, including rattling people, and then once it will settle down and to operationalize, we put people within. Because this, this is a journey. It was never supposed to be a snapshot, right? It's never supposed to be a project. So every time something new has to be done or, or someone has to be woken up on, on a given point, should we get somebody from outside? What, what's the approach you would take to this ongoing journey? So for me, it's definitely a mix of the two. Uh, outside perspective, whether from a consulting firm, a partner vendor organization, or hiring externally, um, only works if you also have folks who understand the culture, uh, the rhythm of the organization. They have to be blended together. Um, the the two pieces, right, are what help move the organization forward. If you just come in with a bunch of ideas from the outside and not understand how they will work, how the people inside the organization think about what's worked, what hasn't, where the pain is, um, you're, you're going to have a, a really uphill battle. You need some folks that are part of the organization to help move that mission forward. But simultaneously, if you just try to do it from an internal perspective with nothing from the outside, um, I think it becomes very difficult to change, right? Again, because you've got you're cha- you're 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 trying to change something you don't know how to change, right? Or what other people are doing. So that outside perspective, I think, is critical. Um, but it, you can't have all outside perspective and no inside perspective. It's got to be a, a blend of the two. So would you keep like a sort of analytics or, or data management board of advisors of sorts for specifically to to make sure that they're always there, they're they're in the listening mode, and they will intervene when they don't see uh, the organization really stepping up? Yeah, I use my advisory board, which I do have, um, more actively than that, right? So part is for them to learn about what's going on in the the data environment and what we're doing specifically, but it is a heavy um, requirement of mine that those advisory board members also provide advice. (laughs) So I'm looking for how does their business operate? Where are those pain points? Are we on the right track to make sure that what we're building is supporting them? and making it easier for them to do their jobs and not so onerous. So um, that, that, that advisory board role is a really important one for me. Now, when you look at advisory board, that's great. And, of course, you're putting in the effort. And you don't want to be having this chronic issue of, of the executive committee not understanding what you're trying to do, the business users not following on the data quality and not building data silos. And uh-huh. what's your, what are your checkpoints or, or milestones in this whole journey? So you know that you've, you've at least gotten far above those initial hurdles. Otherwise, if they keep coming back, that means something is not being done right or these people somehow are not buying into the whole initiative. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you're always going to have um, folks that that nod their head yes and they understand, but until it really impacts them or they really need it, it's hard for them to engage, right? So, it's a it's a constant challenge to make sure that the um, information we're providing and the work we're doing is aligned to our business strategy and to each of those business areas so that they can actually see the connection to the work we're doing and how it impacts their business. And And that is not a small amount of effort. And so what are you doing to make sure that these people eventually not are uh, what I call as naysayers? You you should be able to Mm -hmm. separate out people who have genuine concern versus people just are passively resistant to getting through, and eventually you want to make sure that either you work with the executive committee to get those people managed out or managed to make sure they are not unnecessarily creating more cost because anytime resistance is there, you need to work towards it, it creates delays, which is a form of cost. How do you prevent this thing from being being perpetual? Uh, Prioritization. 
so um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really important word for me as part of our overall data strategy is I am not here to solve all problems, and I'm not going to solve them all at the same time. So I typically try to work with the business areas that have pain that are looking for help to solve it. That's where I head first. And then over time, along that continuum, right, I start to move down the, the food chain. So if there are folks that are less engaged but because they don't see a need, once that first group starts to see the benefits, they, the ball gets rolling, right? The folks start to say, oh, what are they doing over there? Oh, well, if it's working for that, is there something you could do for me, right? That's your next tier, folks. I don't waste a whole lot of energy on somebody who isn't interested or engaged at all right now. It's so not, how would you get, but what is if they're in your... They will eventually is, come into the fold. So what if they're in your critical path? Because if you're supposed to try to lay the foundation, right, and, and you're trying to say that, okay, let me get the minimum done, and these people are the ones who are essentially because of their passive resistance or active resistance... Yes, I've had active resistance in the past as well. So, so do you, you cannot dodge that or have a workaround because that could also be perceived as weakness or politici you know, politicizing the, the yeah. initiative? Again, I have to there, you're going to have to make a call, right? And each person has to do that for themselves on whether or not, um, I, I use the term shark closest to the boat. Um, if they're not a shark closest to the boat, then I just deprioritize them for the time being. And if there are ways to do that that don't impede the progress... I absolutely do it. In there is your no role, reason to to create, um, uh, everybody has to be on board at the exact same time. I can get them on board over time. Yeah, that is of course. You know that that is going to be uh, very ambitious, if you will, to say, okay, we'll have the perfect. Uh, yes. You know, scenario. I mean, you can put together a communication plan and say, okay, well, I've talked to all these people. I should have them on board now. Doesn't work that way. Right? It's much. <laughs> it's much more organic than that. No, totally. We wish it was happening that way. Now, coming to your ability to do that, so the, the, the important thing here is people you manage, which is your team, but then that's yep. a very small compared to the whole organization where you at most have influence. Yeah. And even that is not truly, in some cases, measurable. So who comes to your rescue or stands by you? to make sure that the rest of the organization listens, because, of course, you're supposed to prove yourself first. Yep. And only then even those other people will come to rally beside you. So yep. how do you eat the cake and have it too? <laughs> or catch 22, um, right? That, um, that relationship building is critical. So I have to have had um, spent my time building relationships with the businesses and also using my team and the relationships they have with various areas within the bank. So uh, the old say, you know, it takes a village. It really does, right? So we have to work um, multiple layers of the organization to really start to get advocates for the work that we're doing, true supporters. And the supporters have to happen at all different levels of the organization. So if I just spent my time at the executive level, we'd be completely missing the boat, right? So I expect every single one of the people on my team to spend time with their business counterparts throughout the organization, talking at their level about their problems and from their perspective what it is we're doing to help solve those problems. But that, Which... that is a heavy relationship-building process. And in what context do you have this regular shadowing happens? Because, of course, nobody wants to have somebody breathing down their neck or always be lingering yeah. around them to, yeah. to get that information. Uh, again, um, you know, through natural course of business, right, projects happen, um, events happen, reasons for us to be engaged. And that's where I expect this multi-tiered um, communications to be occurring. Right, to constantly be talking about our strategy, the um, progress we're making, um, and how we can help. So since you are attempting to do it and it's a conscious effort you as a CDO would like to have for your crew and anyone who's working on similar programs, that means you have to take control of the type of events which do happen, which will allow you the opportunity to go and hang out and or have conversations or connect with yep. those people who you would like to come on board. 
Mm-hmm. What is the strategy or what type of events, if you will, is what I call the reason I use the term events is that could be a project, it could be a gathering or whatever. So what kind of events would automatically, you know, lend you to get those opportunities and how do you plan so that more of them are happening at the right time versus waiting for them to happen organically? Yeah, so I have a couple of roles on my team um, that I have embedded into um, the technology um, processes. So we have architecture review boards. We have um, normal project commencement um, processes that take place, right, as you're starting to put together a technology project. Um, I have uh, two different people, one that focuses on our consumer business, one that focuses on commercial and all the shared services, and they are there to partner with any of the resources that would be working on those projects to help make the connections back to um, my organization and the strategy. So they're, they're versed in the strategy. They spend an immense amount of time with our architecture organization to make sure that they understand so that as project resources are initiating projects, we're thinking about how to connect it to this data ecosystem versus doing it the way they've always done it. Those two resources are critical from a technology perspective. Now, on the business side, right, so my um, advisory committee is made up of um, senior leaders from every single one of our organizations, business um, and support organizations. And as a result, they also provide me insight into things that they are trying to do to accomplish their strategy that may or may not have a technology component to it, which allows me to then um, get folks from my team engaged in the right spots. See, as part of building your advisory board, this reminds me of a couple of not-for-profit boards I was as part of, and some of the original leadership ended up bringing people on the board, not necessarily for their acumen or relevant experience, but that they had influence. Is that what you think should be the part of advisory board who would have more of a pull within the company versus truly being able to advise? Because frankly, with respect to this data and analytics program, I think most of them would be deer in headlights when you were to talk to them about the subject. Correct. So how do you translate what starts to feel techy, um, complex, into really straight-talking business language, right, about business outcomes, about business problems and challenges, about the process of sales um, and managing those sales organizations and what they're trying to do to make money. And that's what I look for those advisory boards. And, and that, as I said, part of that advisory board, I do plan it, it, the ongoing is education, Right. They have to start to learn more about what we're doing from a data standpoint in order to connect those dots. So it's a, it's a dual purpose, right? I need, I need them to understand from a business standpoint what we're doing and then help me understand how that connects back to their business so that I can also make those connections. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And while we went into the execution, but in this case, when we are building these data and analytics programs, there would be chunked into smaller initiatives or programs. And each of them could either become projects with very specific outcome and ROI, which is measurable, or they could be considered as a continuous improvement type of an initiative. Because both of them could result in some value. Now, we have to build business cases for each. How do we go about doing it? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So this is about making a business case for a specific project which could have measurable ROI versus a continuous improvement type of a process where, yes, you can promise something incremental but not something which will 
suddenly get you a million dollars, but you still need those. So how do you go about, you know, putting a bell? How do you bell the cat, which is to get money from the folks who will have to give you in order for you to execute on these projects? Yeah, so um, the business case is interesting, right? So for some of those foundational pieces, like I described on a customer master, it's hard to quantify how, how that, where the money is going to come from by spending it. Uh, but at the same time, the, it is the number one requested um, entity that people are looking for from a data perspective. I want a complete view of a customer, right? And that, um, that need for it to have so many downstream impacts um, is a business case that typically does not have a return. It's a, um, it's a challenging one, but as an organization um, that's focused on customer, right, we don't sell products. We sell solutions to customers. And so in order to think about a solution for a customer, you have to have a complete view of what you currently have with them and what the opportunities are with them. And that means having that customer master in place. So um, that's, a, that's a business case that um, it looks upside down, right, from a return perspective, but you have to have it in place in order for um, many of these other components to work. From an analytic standpoint, most of those business cases have um, great return. The question is, from an from a, um, enterprise standpoint, what is the level of return you need and how fast do you need the return? But typically, once you've done that, then getting the rest of the data that you need in order to have the, that analytic um, project stood up um, for the time being is, is a pretty straightforward business case. So you kind of have to separate. If I, if I load it on the cost of a customer master to all of those projects, their business cases would be much more challenged, right? So we, we do separate that, and I've done it now a couple of times, where the customer master is a, non, um, is a project with no return but needs to get done. So, so the way you approach even that project, because, of course, it will require investment, is you yep. say that this is a foundational block. I cannot give you what you want about a customer or the other type of fancy analytics till I allow this. So do you roll this up as a line item in the bigger project, or you let it stand out and then suffer the, the back and forth in terms of trying to negotiate how much would it take and why? Yeah, I mean, the, the question is, right, when you're, when you're going to bring forth a project that is all cost and no return, right, no, no direct return associated to it, then you're saying, well, people are going to use it to do projects that will give you a return. So um, you want to minimize the cost to build it in the first place, right? That's usually the biggest. Okay, so if we have to make this investment and we agree we need to, how inexpensively can we do it? Right, and that's the balancing act because you could do it very inexpensively, and it still won't meet the need. Um, it, the the technologies around customer master and the processes um, are not inexpensive to do, and as a result, means your your executive committee is making a um, a serious investment in the future of the organization. So this actually starts with someone at the top, not just when the CDO or someone, your counterpart, who would actually run these projects uh, mm -hmm. are, are going to just, you know, shout at the top of their lungs. It is more when the, the C-suite will recognize that this is not just urgent, but it's important for it to be done as a to precursor right. to the other. You got it. Now, in terms of whatever has happened, and of course we spoke about things happen and why do they happen and, and there are problems. But then if you were to think any time as a leader, besides just delivering results, what you want is you develop people, the processes, and some learnings come out of it so that we incrementally get better as an organization. So if you were to itemize the learnings, the top learnings that we are, are getting as part of executing these programs, what would those be? So top of my list is um, it feels like you can never engage people early enough in the process, right? It's, a, it's an ongoing balancing act of when you get people engaged, even if I don't have something at the ready for them to use, but how do I start um, bringing them along that continuum, right? The old marketing adage of it takes eight 
um, eight times for somebody to see something for it to connect. And those messages, right, they, there is a, it has to almost build up with people. So it always feels like I've engaged them too late in the process, no matter how early I feel like I'm engaging them. And then I often feel when I'm engaging them too early that it is, they're like, okay, well, when am I going to have this? And what is it going to do for me? So that, that repetitive um, communication process, that's probably the biggest learning. That is, that is critical, critical, critical. And you think of how many people in an organization need to hear that message eight times <laughs> for um, folks to start to understand what you're doing. That is a, um, it's a long road, and I'll say the biggest learning is that communication nonstop. And where would you say are, and that could be your personal experience or the, the others that you may know, where are they typically finding successes as part of these? Is that an overarching big bang success or would you say there are specific pockets where you think you're more likely to attack first because those are the ones that are proven where you're getting the most success? So um, when I think about my peers, et cetera, most of the um, the, the significant success has been in the risk data space. Um, second would be in consumer, third in the commercial, right? So if I kind of bucket them into three big chunks, um, the, the risk data um, space is, I think, driven very heavily by the regulatory environment. And so as a result of that, that has gotten the most traction the fastest. The um, consumer is fairly straightforward. You also have a volume. So when you're doing statistical models, um, consumers are much easier to do that with, to think of offers and leads and all those kind of things for customers. Um, commercial gets more complex. The relationships are more complex. You've got less of the um, same, right? There's only one GE in the world. It's hard to say who are the, who's similar to GE that would have the same set of products and offers and all that kind of stuff. So it gets more complex in the commercial space. Um, so, but risk data is, is top, I think, for everybody. So in, in terms of the results that we were uh, starting out and, and where we are, because we, we definitely had some way of promising because we had to get investment and some business cases yep. were developed. And now that you see the results may have come, they may be less or different. Where, wh what would you attribute? What factors? I know you mentioned culture and people. That was where yeah. we undermined what it would be. But otherwise, are there any other factors which are responsible for any such deviations? Yeah, changing of people. So um, I talked about all that communication, the um, getting advocates, etc. The the you can off easily get off track when a business um, leader changes, where there's significant change within that organization, right? They get distracted with their own organizational stuff, and that can send things in a different direction. Um, a, uh, a new people joining an organization that have a different thought about how something should be done or what's important, what the priorities are. Um, can can change that pretty dramatically, so yeah, it's um, it's 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 heavy on that on that people front because they they can make or break the um, progress you're making. If you were to make uh, changes in the type of people or processes or technology, in order because now that we, you do hindsight twenty twenty, what changes yeah. would you have brought about? Hmm. That one's a trickier question. Um, in that, the I don't know that I I would uh, you know looking back I'm I'm not somebody who would change a whole lot about it right. There's probably nuances here and there like oh I wish we had engaged that group sooner. Um, I wish we had some sort of better stronger tie to that organization. Um, but there's nothing really dramatic that I would change. In that that would be it. At this organization or my previous one. So if you would not change anything, and people say you don't get different results by staying the same. Uh -huh. So there has to be something changing. Is it our approach, how, how hopeful we were or how circumspect we were in terms of running the program? So something has to change, whether it is with others or with us. 
Yeah, the um, I mean the, the the ongoing change, right, is an education process, right? So we're learning um, my t- my me and my team. Um, the business areas are learning um, as well. So it's it's definitely more evolutionary than revolutionary from a change perspective. And and so you do not see any. Um, so suppose you were to write a playbook and say, okay, do this, this, this versus yeah. that, there is n- that, that chapter would remain empty or there would be some pointers that you would have given oh, to people? Oh, no, I've got, I mean, I've got gobs of pointers, right? So don't treat data like a project. It isn't a project. Data management has to do with the word management. No different than financial management, risk management, human resource management. It is an ongoing um, skill, competency, um, an organization, right, is not a project, and that is probably the number one challenge is you're going to have projects that support data management, but data management is not a project. That's number one. Number two would be uh, that the technology is not the savior. The answer is not technology. The answer, as you've heard, almost everything I've talked about is about people, right? The technology is an enabler to that and making sure that it plays the role as enabler and not driver. I mean, those are the two biggest learnings by far. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. And let's talk about people because why people change and why should they change? Because we want an organization wants to do an analytics program. What is it that we are doing to make sure that their own respective agendas, personal and professional agendas, are met so that they are willing to step up and bring changes in themselves in the way they carry out whatever the responsibilities are, but in the process helps with these data and analytics programs. So we're talking people. Let's dig deeper. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, we're talking people here, Ursula. And, and no matter which initiative we talk, every time uh, the biggest challenge is attributed to people. And while we can say, uh, we can moan about this, but eventually, if an individual is to be uh, spoken with as a person in the organization, they don't come to work thinking that I'm going to mess up or I'm going to pose a hindrance to someone. They don't feel motivated or they're not moved because there was not much done towards it. So what does it take for people to get moved in order to support your initiative? Because they don't really care about anyone else but their personal and professional agenda. If that's met they're all game and they are willing to join you. So what's that magic? Right. People come to work to do a good job, whatever they have designed or um, believe that looks like. So, yeah, so how do you change um, the path that they're on? So um, executive support um, is critical, critical, critical. I have 100% support from our um, C-suite. And as a result, um, the organization knows that. They speak about it. They are supportive. Um, during uh, investment decisions, the um, senior leaders are asked how they are leveraging this enterprise data um, foundation. It is brought up on a regular basis. As a result, that support goes a really long way to getting people to move in that direction, right? Um, people don't want to be called out as not being on board. So even though I might get more passive resistance, um, I definitely do not get um, full-blown active resistance. 
And that passive resistance, as we talked about earlier, um, if, there, if, it's, if it is non-critical, I don't have to you know, go to the executive committee to say anything. If I, um, if I felt like, and I have not incurred that here at all, that I was getting resistance that was impeding the project, I could absolutely go to their leader that sits on our executive committee um, to have that discussion about the challenge. So knowing you've got um, the support, which I'll call the carrot, is critical, and knowing I could use the stick if I had to, and I think people knowing that that exists um, keeps people moving in the right direction. So are you are you suggesting that while you may have the softer side of people to be managed, but uh, a carrot and a stick approach is the way to go for these type of initiatives? I think more carrot. If um, I've I've seen in a much smaller scale, like just in a divisional area, um, a complete stick. Like, you're going to do this, period. I don't want to hear anything about it, blah, blah, blah. People will, um, will do, um, but you're really not getting the true support and the advocacy, right? So it usually doesn't go nearly as smoothly if they feel like they're having their arm twisted to do the work. The carrot is way better. It's just nice if you... If, if you need to invoke the stick, that it's available. For me, at least, it works better. Each organization, again, culturally, are, is is such an important piece because if the culture is a very top-down mandate type organization, then the carrot idea probably wouldn't work. People would be expecting um, a mandate, and then they wouldn't do it until a mandate happened, right? So the, the organization and how it operates um, is really critical to that. So my, be, my approach that I'm describing is is driven off of the organization that I um, am part of. So whether you talk incentive or you talk a stick, no matter which culture it is, do you need mm-hmm. a wholehearted support from people or just about good, in, you know, whatever they can give is just good enough? Because you want people to be fully charged up or is everyone supposed to be in the organization fully charged up? For these these programs to be successful, or you think you can just have a handful of those those leaders or evangelists, if you will, to pull mm-hmm. this off? Uh, no, I need I need I don't need um, rousing support running around people all asking because I also wouldn't be able to deliver against everybody's expectations at that level, right? So I I need to make sure that I'm managing that. I do expect at least a handful of those leaders to be strong supporters, and as I'd mentioned. The people in my organization um, spending time with others so that I also get that level of support and advocacy um, deeper into the organization. So as long as I start to build momentum around advocacy, I'm making good progress from my perspective. If you are to look at the type of changes that are happening all along, means this is not this is going to be a moving target. And it yes. is not just an incremental move. Right now, there are businesses fundamentally disrupting themselves in order to stay relevant. They are mm-hmm. acquiring companies, and there are other types of changes, mega changes, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, that could throw your data program out of the window in a heartbeat because yes. they will say, okay, I need to get there. So do you keep going back and starting from scratch? Yeah, so um, that kind of uh, next shiny object idea the, um, as an organization, right, the, you've got to start delivering and having usable um, outcomes quickly. With that said, data stuff is not a, you can't just flip a switch. It's not like, okay, we're going to do this project and in three months you suddenly have something. But thinking as iteratively as possible and um, keeping that scope um, small enough so that you can start delivering is is critical because if the project's going to take five years, yes, a shiny object will easily knock your your work and your business case out of the water sometime during that time frame. So focusing on what are you going to deliver this year, what's next year, keeping people very focused on your milestones so that as you hit against those milestones, they can see the progress. They're not going to shut it off then. Um, but it is a it, it is a constant risk that something more important will happen to the organization, and this will become deprioritized if you don't have delivery. Execution what is I, critical. 
And when, what you mentioned here is, yes, you keep it short term, but there could be a fundamental disruption in the way when data was visualized in the first place. Remember, you mentioned that we have to build that foundation. That foundation could be totally trashed or maybe fundamentally ripped apart because now you're thinking differently as a business. So do you somehow say, okay, I'll take slivers of those or whatever broken pieces of those and start rebuilding? Or is there a better way to maintain continuity in, in the light of these disruptions? Um. So as, as as far as um like whatever the disruption might be right so cloud let's cloud is the new big thing whatever um, I'm talking business it, disruption just to be clear not not yeah, okay. truly technology not technical dis- disruption okay yeah so um from a business disruption um I, I'd be hard pressed that the foundation would be um uh useless right because as a bank our foundation is about our customers their accounts that they have with us, and the transactions they do. That is never going to change. If you were to suggest, based on the changes that are happening nowadays and wearing the right type of leadership hat, if an organization has to really move forward with confidence, what would be your uh, message or appeal to the leaders who are leading such programs? So that it actually really is going to not be like what you read, what you mentioned in the beginning, that your outcomes were not as you desired truly. Yeah, going well, forward, perhaps we can improve upon it. Uh, so, you know, to people that would be coming into this role newly into an organization, um, my guidance would be on understanding the organization and how it operates, spending time building relationships understanding with the businesses what it is that the outcomes are and be clear about those outcomes then as part of your um, program, right, the work that you're doing and how it um, supports those outcomes. And then stay away from naming it a project. Think about it as something that is ongoing and sustainable, no different than managing people, managing data, and um, put technology as an enabler, do not put it out front. I mean, those would be my big um, focus for people is focus on the people side, focus on the process, what it is you're trying to accomplish, and how it directly ties to what the business needs. So focused on those business outcomes. On behalf of the show and our listeners... If your outcome is just purely clean quality data, you've got to have it tied back to what is it helping from a business strategy standpoint. Sure. Thank you so much, uh, Ursula. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks again uh, for sharing your insights and thoughts on how organizations can make the most of these data and analytics programs. And listeners, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Network, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.